Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. For those of you who are new to Radio Islam, we welcome you. We're a live call-in talk show broadcasting from Chicago on WCEV 1450 AM. And you can hear our live stream at www.wcev1450.com. Oh, and we also have a treat for you. You can now find us on the TuneIn app. Um, just look up WCEV or check the podcast out. Uh, we're available there and everywhere else that you get your podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, all at Radio Islam USA. Now, if you haven't already done so, keep up with us on social media by following and liking us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Now, if you should have a comment or question tonight, because we are going to be having a really good discussion, inshallah, with God's permission, uh, give us a call at 312-750-1178. That is 312-750-1178. So tonight is our first book club discussion. Uh, we've got a, a selection which is really, uh, we've got a great selection for every month of the year. And the idea is that on the last Friday of the month, uh, we sit down in studio and we have a discussion about that book. So we started off with the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley. Um, and um, as many of you know, it was originally published in uh, 64, 65. Um, uh, Malcolm X was assassinated in 65. Uh, this book was famously brought to the big screen by Spike Lee in 92 which uh, remains one of my favorites, uh, if not my favorite movie of all time. And I'm going to say it right now that Denzel was robbed. Uh, he was absolutely robbed. So uh, this is a classic, uh, which Time Magazine called one of its 10 most important nonfiction books of the 20th century. And I'm going to preface all of this, uh, this conversation that's to come by just reading a quick, uh, some quick remarks that were made by former President Barack Obama uh, in his book, um, Dreams from My Father. Uh, he says, Malcolm X's autobiography seemed to offer something different. His repeated acts of self-creation spoke to me. The blunt poetry of his words, his unadorned insistence on respect, promised a new and uncom uncompromising order, martial in its discipline, forged through sheer force of will. That's a whole lot. So that's from his book. Um, uh, that's from his book, Dreams from My Father. But anyway, let's get into our discussion. So joining me to talk about this classic, which has inspired millions, uh, myself obviously included, are, uh, well, you hear him every night. Uh, he gets the shout out because he's on the boards, uh, the impressive one, assistant producer extraordinaire, uh, Ibrahim Baig. Assalamu alaikum. All right. And to my right, we have Sound Vision's creative director, Aria Sadiki. Hold on, let me say your last name. Aria Sadiki. I really anglicized it. You I did. Didn't, I didn't. Sadiki. 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 Okay. So Sad. All right, nice. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. All right, so uh, let's see. So we, we've got a lot. We've got a lot that we can we can get into. Uh, within this book, and I know the hour that we have is not going to be sufficient. 
So we probably should have done two of these, but uh, that's that's water under the bridge. Uh, I'll say I, I'll throw out one of the things that really uh, resonated with me, and that was him as a um, as a self not self-created, but a but as a leader, a person who took on the responsibility of leadership without worrying about the, the trappings of, uh, that go along with uh, the idea of being commercially successful. He was more about leading in, in, in terms of, um, in terms of, of, of actually bringing light to, uh, to problems and, and trying to change them. So leadership, that's one of the things that, that comes to mind for me. By self-created, I think also maybe it means um, someone who didn't follow a template in uh, the type of leadership that they provided. Like there's really n no one like him before or after. You know, he was very much a trailblazer in that respect. And he was self-educated pretty much, right? He went to like a high school, I think. And after that, all the knowledge he gained by himself, an immense amount of knowledge. Um, it was all by himself. And he really had... Um, his own type of personality, his own type of leadership qualities. So maybe that's what also what it means by, you know, oh, with, with regard to uh, with, with President Obama, his right. remarks. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I'll add to this, and and maybe President Obama was not really, and I, I can't say that he was not aware. I don't think it's something that many people who are aware of Malcolm uh, and and the great work that he did, or looking at at him as a uh, as a as a leader, uh, as being somebody who is extremely intelligent, charismatic, a person of the people, uh, but also looking at the soil that he came up out of, uh, and, and for this I have to reference there's a book, which I think everybody should read that is familiar with the life of Malcolm X, uh, and that is the man behind the men. It's a book book written by uh, uh, Mikhail Sahir, and it deals with. Um, it deals with the influence of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad uh, and his influence on his life. Uh, and the man, just a quick, kind of quick detour, he's talking about Malcolm X, uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan, Imam Marthi Muhammad, and Muhammad Ali. So these four, so I don't think it's so much, looking at it in that, that light, I don't think it's so much that he was self-created, but I think willing to allow himself to be more than he was uh, at the time when he when he self-admittedly said that he was at his lowest so he allowed he allowed this exposure to um, to, to, to possibilities of, of being of being greater of being purposeful uh, and he embraced it and he ran with it okay so you, you all can't see see we should be live streaming that way you can you can actually look and see right I'm looking to see who's going next <laughs> I, I tend to I tend to see that statement as being self-created as really someone who can't be uh, boxed into any type of a prototype you know he was like one of a kind and uh, he wasn't loyal to anything that he didn't truly truly believe in when he was loyal to Elijah Muhammad he, he truly believed in that but when his intellect and other circumstances led him to something else he became loyal to a whole new vision um, and he was something, yeah, he was just someone who wasn't like bound down, uh, tied down by any type of uh, loyalty to anyone if he didn't believe in it. Hmm. 
I think, and and, and we're not. I, I don't want to like run this into the ground just this one point because there's many more for us for us to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't I don't see it so much as a matter of his own uh, loyalty. But I I do agree that it was there was a uh, there was a point where the the, the logical the rationale. Uh, was engaged and he, he saw things that didn't necessarily fit um, it didn't fit the pattern as, as it had been presented to him uh, some things didn't fit and that was a very uncomfortable very uncomfortable position for anybody to be in who is uh, who has benefited from the mentorship and from the, the wisdom uh, and, and tutelage of, of an elder somebody that you greatly respect and then to feel like well I don't agree with with where you're at right now. Now I have to lean on my own uh, understanding, on my own stand on my own principles, um, and and that really could go like that could really be a really deep uh, a deep conversation just uh, in you know in and of itself. Uh, all of those those elements that were that were present. But look, let's let's talk about him in terms of uh, his mission. Uh, and the things that he was fighting for. And I don't want to divorce him, and I, I think this is important too. Uh, there can be a tendency to look at leaders as, as just as individuals as opposed to seeing them as representatives of communities, as spokespersons. Uh, and when we see them as spokespersons, we see that they had the support of the support of, of, of millions or thousands or whatever. They had a support of a contingent of folks who may not have been able to verbalize their complaints, their frustration, and their angst, but people like Malcolm, people like, um, uh, well, we, we, we can look at the, the civil rights leaders of today, right, that have platforms, but he used his platform fighting for something. So what, what are the things that he was fighting for, and how far have we come since since that time, since his his passing in '65. Well, uh, one important point to note is that his ideology changed over time. Uh, maybe not radically changed, completely transformed, but it definitely evolved over time. Um, so I guess we could look for some commonalities. Um, one important point, arguably the one of the most important points to his ideology. And the thing that really differentiated him from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King in the early stages was the difference between viewing African Americans viewing themselves um, as uh, citizens of the United States who deserve equal rights from citizens, you know, compared to other citizens of this country, versus Malcolm X's ideology, which was to really think big in a very profound way, and. To tell the people, you know, you should view yourself as a citizen of the globe, right? Think big, right? You're not, you're not just a citizen of this country fighting for these rights, right? You're fighting for human rights. It's therefore a human struggle, and it connects you to a whole um, human family of oppressed people. And this, I think, was really solidified when uh, at the point where he came to Sunni Islam and began associating with people around the globe. Um, and then after he went to the Middle East, went to Hajj pilgrimage, he became a, entered Sunni Islam. 
then he took a couple trips to Africa and met with leaders from African countries. And that really cemented that ideology that we find even uh, in speeches like uh, a message to the grassroots. We definitely find this ideology of look past these borders right here and see the entire world and demand your rights on the global stage, not just on the national stage. Um, I would say this is one point where that really separates him from Dr. King, even though Dr. King's struggle, as we know, you know, is a very noble struggle and everything. Nobody's questioning that, but this is a key difference. Mm. You know, it, it's interesting when we make this contrast between um, Malcolm and, uh, and, uh, and Dr. King is that the longer Dr. King uh, continued to be active, the more in line his, uh, his ideology, his philosophy seemed to move away. Uh, he, he began to question yes. his own approach. He, yes, and after, at the, towards the end of his life, he yes. was definitely gravitating towards um, socioeconomic justice in general. Right. Yeah, yeah, and and not to not to veer too much too uh, too far away, but I think he also saw the he also saw the importance of <clears throat> of establishing a a global uh, of a, a global uh, network, a global um, awareness of oppression, particularly of of, of, of poor people uh, in general. But I don't necessarily think that his change in ideology or his change in religious understanding uh, as that expanded, that that had very much bearing on the things that he fought for. Uh, putting it under the umbrella of, of, of human rights, it still, it still, it still was, was couched in an understanding uh, and awareness of, uh, of, of protesting against mm -hmm. police brutality, uh, protesting against economic uh, inequality, of, of housing, um, uh, segregation, or not not necessarily segregation, but 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 you know slum lords, right? Mm -hmm. um, miseducation, uh, the, the imprisonment, the, the system as it was built. So even even as his even as his worldview of of Islam may have have changed or expanded, he was still committed to those 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 key issues, and the the question that I ask uh, for, for us to think about. And for you, Radio Slam family, those of you who, are, who have read the book, are familiar with his life, and you can simply look out uh, today and ask how many of those issues are we still dealing with right now? Are we still dealing with uh, police brutality? Yes, we are. Are we still dealing with um, uh, housing, uh, housing issues? Uh, yes, it's come under the guise of, uh, of gentrification, uh, people being pushed, pushed out of public housing. Are we still dealing with uh, higher incarceration rates for uh, black and brown? Yes, we are. So this, this idea, we celebrate the individual, and, and rightfully so, and, and those that produced him. But when it comes down to how, how these lives have, have changed um, society, I think that's where we have to say, well, the job is, it, it rests with, with us right now today. So, uh, you know, where are we at? Well, wow, you brought up so many good points. I wanna <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, okay. Uh, first thing I would address is say, yeah, some of the uh, Malcolm X's, rahimahullah, his goals remained the same, right? His goals was to help the black community and to free the community from these shackles of uh, 
basically an impressive system, to make a long story short. Mm -hmm. But I would say that his methodology evolved quite a bit mm -hmm. as he went along, and that is due in no small part to his change in religious ideology. I would contest that, because the methodology of uh, the Elijah Muhammad's movement, the Nation of Islam, was and this is what Malcolm X was preaching at the time was really to say basically we this isn't working um, not some people some of his enemies tried to say that oh look he's preaching the same thing that the white segregationists are preaching which is not really true but they were preaching that we want an autonomous we want you know a regional autonomy right the segregation the separate but equal thing this is basically a scam right and everyone right. knew that from the start they're saying we want autonomy we want our own thing mm -hmm. right um, but later, I think it changed in the sense that he was willing to um, go through the system more so to a greater extent than he would be before, even though his goals remained, those ultimate goals remained the same. You know, it's interesting um, to, to hear it that way because I feel that he was still going through the system the, f the first time. Mm. Uh, because it was a, you know, the, the ask was we want our own land, our own state, our own territory that we can, like you said, to be autonomous over. But that was something that was to be relinquished, something to be given by those who had power. Mm -hmm. Much like, uh, much like um, moving to the point where you're going to the to the United Nations to say. Uh, we want you all to recognize that the United States is guilty of human rights violations against its uh, African-American, its black population. Mm -hmm. It's still within the system. It, it what, What's changed is uh, the ask. The global system, the well, national yeah, system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there's also a I'll change, say, too. If you look at the speech, the well, I guess we're getting a little bit outside the book, but it's still related. Yeah. The message to the grassroots, by the way, Radio Islam family, if you read this speech, this speech will melt ice. This, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just brutal. Yeah. But he's talking about, I guess we don't want to get sidetracked, and it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. But um, oh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I do get the theme that he's saying we're going to, like, overturn this whole system. We're going to, you know, he's talking about revolution, mm -hmm. and he's actually talking about violent revolution in that case. Yeah. And even the March on Washington, he's saying... Uh, was co-opted by the government uh, and it was going to be a kind of semi-violent thing. They were going to storm the Capitol and, you know, mm -hmm. cause some kind of a ruckus, right. but that it was co-opted later. Um, so, I don't know, I feel like, yeah, the, I, I kind of agree with you. There's a point, but, the, uh, but I do feel like, and at that stage he was trying to t get things done by, he was willing to get things done by overturning the whole system on its head, you know, rather than kind of, if you contrast that with the mainstream, like, civil rights movement approach, which is very much, you know, going through the system, mm -hmm. I think we see a definite uh, contrast there. Now, what many people may not know, for those who are not familiar with the Nation of Islam, is that the Nation of Islam was not a violent, is not a violent organization. Uh, so those... Uh, some of those terms of inciting people or talking in revolutionary terms, it was not, uh, it was not, there were some who were on that bandwagon of let's, let's grab our guns. Mm -hmm. uh, but those who understood who had the, the majority of the stockpile, they understood that's, that's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. 
so it was always about it was always about you don't put your hands any, on anybody, but you don't let anybody put their hands on you. Uh, so um, I think going back to was it the ballot or the bullet? Uh, the idea of how are you going to choose to uh, express your uh, your, your your dissatisfaction. There is a system that exists, and the system is to be utilized. And if we engage in the system, then we have the potential to uh, to have all of the concerns that we have have them addressed. So, um, yeah. I, I, well, one thing I, I'll kind of segue into another uh, point of concern. I think even as his view changed it also changed in part I think a, a part of that expression was because of the the, the rift that happened within uh, between him and the the nation of Islam at the time uh, there was also a very a very uh, real understanding that you have to have a, a base you got to have sponsors to a degree you got to have people that are uh, still backing you. So some of that, that, that friction, it allowed for him to, to, to step outside of that and to, to go beyond just the United States uh, and, to, and to say, okay, well, I'm going to connect, connect on a larger level, um, you know, globally. I'm going to go to the UN. I'm going to go into Africa. I'm going to meet with these uh, other folks because this was all during that time when he was, when he was uh, basically benched. You know, he was, he, he was, it was radio silence. You know, he was not allowed to, to get up and give any addresses, but he was still moving forward. And I think looking at what was going to come um, down the line. Oh, I was going to say, um, in regards to the revolutionary language he used, you have to understand that at that point he was pretty young. Like when Malcolm X went out into the world, he was 14. And by the time he had gone to that, stage where he was citing these like revolutionary rhetoric he was still pretty young and i feel like that comes from a like a stance of youth and as he matured he learned to play within the bounds of the system and he learned to carry himself in a way where the system would listen but i do agree with you where in the beginning his his language was very revolutionary, where he he was talking about how America came to be by cutting itself from Europe, and we as a black community should cut ourselves from America. So, um, And I also think that um, some of his stances reaffirm his role as really a, a great thinker and a great philosopher. He wasn't actually calling people like right now, go out and commit these acts of violence, but he was saying that get it into your head that revolution um, isn't just like marching. Revolution has some kind of a tangible result, and that might require violence someday. That's what he really he was trying to get into people's heads. He was saying power. Revolution is about land, right? To quote the speech, uh, the grassroots speech. Sorry, I keep going back to that. <laughs> but he's like, you know, you can sit on a toilet next to a white man. That's not revolution. Revolution means acquiring land, right? Yeah. That's what he was saying. And he talks about um, how in Maoist China, people are, you know, kids are willing to kill their parents and stuff like that. It's pretty brutal stuff, right? But he had to say it at the time because he was trying to get it in people's head that, you know, I'm not calling, I'm not telling you to go and be violent, mm -hmm. but if you really want a revolution, you can't get that without some type of a fight. You yeah. know? So he was a philosopher in that sense. And that was really, if you look at the end of the book, when Alex Haley is talking about um, everything that happened 
like in the very last few months of his life, mm-hmm. where people were starting to question Malcolm X, right? Because he had a change in stances and stuff, and people were like, so there's two there's two objections that people had at that time. Alex Haley says one of them was that okay, we don't know what this guy keeps evolving his stance so much that we don't know exactly where he stands, you know. And even he himself kind of admitted that. The second objection that people had, like people in Harlem and elsewhere, was that um, they said basically Martin Luther King and his people, they're out there being literally being beat over the head and going to jail and doing stuff like that. And Malcolm X, he hasn't done any of that. All he does is preach, you know. Um, to, to address that, I would say, yeah, kind of, well, he did do things, you know. That's sure. not true that he didn't do anything. But his role primarily and what he really stands out for is as someone who, uh, like a philosopher and a great thinker, right? Like Socrates says, he's a gadfly, right? Yeah. I have to, I'm this fly that is going to irritate people until they change their thinking, right? That was also Malcolm X, Rahimullah. Yeah, I can, I can uh, definitely agree with that. All right, Radio Sign family, we're going to pick up our discussion in just a few minutes we're going to take a break but if you'd like to give us a call and uh, give us your thoughts or share any comments uh, with us feel free to do so at 312-750-1178 we'll be back in just a moment forest animals kids are coming to the forest and it's up to us to make their visit a good one sparrow have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year of course catchy i like it river how's the temperature it's a refreshing 52 degrees man i love it uh turtle he's not here yet man Ugh. he's late every morning okay squirrel the forest has been preparing just for you to learn more about cool things to do in the forest visit discovertheforest.org brought to you by the u.s forest service and the ad council I knew I was stuck at this kid's house for the night, but those guys snuck up on me to try and pull the hand in a bowl of warm water trick. Well, that was enough for me. I went downstairs to sleep in the basement, even though it was pitch black. I left my sleeping bag upstairs, and that was a mistake, because it was freezing. I think it was probably the longest night of my life. To read more about the sleepover, check out Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Last Straw, by Jeff Kenny. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library, and visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. Sound Vision is starting a new initiative to provide crisis intervention to those in need. Through the crisis text line, anyone can text 741-741 and be connected via text to a trained crisis counselor who is there to listen and show empathy. The crisis text line is open to everyone. By texting the keyword SALAM, that's S-A-L-A-M, to 741-741, users will be connected to a trained Muslim counselor whenever available. You can also volunteer to undergo training and become a counselor. For more information, visit soundvision.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen. 
We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. Make sure, folks, that you are following and liking us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Radio Slime USA. As a matter of fact, if you can't call in, but you would like to tweet us, go ahead and tweet at us, at Radio Slime USA, and we'll make sure that we uh, put your tweet, your comment or question into our conversation. So we're talking about the life, uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, as told Alex Haley, uh, Ibrahim Baig, uh, Arya Siddiqui, um, and so now we're going to just jump right back in. Uh, Arya, what has struck you um, about the book? Is there anything in particular that you want to go into? So Radio Islam Family, if you've been reading along, I'm sure all of you guys have gone to the story of Laura. It's within the first 100 pages. Um, but it's this really studious girl that Malcolm meets um, in the nicer, posher area of Boston where his aunt lives. And he meets her, and she meets him, and they go lindy hopping one night. And then flash forward a couple of years, and she's a crack addict. And I just, that story really... Heroin addict? Yeah. Thank you. Wasn't no crack back then. I don't know. That <laughs> could be, all right? Go ahead. Sorry. My drug knowledge is a little, like, not that up, not up there. Um, so, and that story really stuck with me like it just there's this place in my heart for laura because she's just ultimate tragic character she has no redemption there's there's nothing and she was on it wasn't like she was on a bad track she was on a good studious track she didn't mess with anyone she went to the what was it the pop place like the milkshake place Mm -hmm. to study right and it just she met malcolm and it just that's it like there goes her life and I guess there was a slight redemption in the fact that Malcolm X took full responsibility for what had happened to her. He says in the book it's one of the most regrettable things. But at the same time, there was no closure. And, yeah. Well, now, we could we I, can push back. Not push back, but I think it's also important to add, even, even as he took, felt a, a sense of responsibility for that, mm-hmm. um, what does that also say for us as individuals and the things that we respond to. I I was saying that uh, as as sad um, as that was, are we saying that- Oh no, that that was tragic. Yeah, it was tragic, definitely. But are we saying that she had no agency? That she was helpless? No, she wasn't definitely not not unhelpless. But the thing is there's Lauras everywhere. Yeah, There's not just one Laura, there's all these Lauras. And no. She made her choices. I understand that. But at the same time, it's just there's a cycle, and you try not to fall into it, and you fell into it, and it's so hard to fight your way up. Like, it's so hard to fight that riptide once it gets you. And, yeah, Laura wasn't helpless, but can you fight that riptide? Like, is anybody strong enough to? You know, I, I see that as, well, two ways, right? I'm not saying that. Um, I think I think for for Malcolm X to look back on that and see that as a moment, based on who he was, uh, and and I think we're different versions of ourselves depending on on what we know, uh, what where we happen to be uh, uh, in life. I think there was a that, that he was always a magnetic uh, individual. 
he was there was something about him I think that drew people to him. But looking back, my my thought is that he saw where he was at that particular point in his life and how she responded and possibly that that could have been that was a contributing factor to where she ended up. Now, that does not take out of the discussion all of the other societal factors uh, that that existed as a part of growing up in that particular uh, community at that particular time. Um, but he saw his own contribution to that, and I think that's that's probably something that 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 shaped him and pushed him mm-hmm. uh, in in positive ways uh, later on. Yeah, he mentions it's definitely one of his biggest regrets is that negative influence that he had on Laura, um, and I agree that it's kind of it's such a tragic thing. There's no redemption in the sense that we see. We don't really see any good come out of it just within the context of that story itself. Um, but one important, well, I mean, there's important lessons that we can learn from that, though. Um, one is that the importance of uh, influence, the importance of who you're hanging out with, right? We can tell our kids this. They won't listen, but we still have to keep telling them. Um, there's actually a scholar, a Muslim scholar from like the early couple of centuries. I forgot who it was. But they told, he told his son, I, I want to say it was maybe Imam Shafi'i, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But one of the early scholars, he said to his son, I will let you choose anything and do anything you want. Whatever clothes you want or food you, do, do whatever you want, but just let me choose your friends. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, the importance of That's powerful. a person, especially a person like Malcolm X, you know, who's a very magnetic mm-hmm. person. Um <clears throat> So that's one thing. The other thing is that the importance of the decisions that we make, right? You can't correct the past, right? The The story of Laura and the story is really like a slap in the face. It's a slap. It's a reality's slapping us in the face, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you might what you might change. Malcolm X changed, Rahimullah, and he changed for the better, right? But he wasn't able to take anyone else with him necessarily except by Allah's permission, you know? Right. So be careful what you do. Be careful what kind of influence you have because if you change, you might not be able to pull someone up with you, you know? It might be out of your control by that point. Yeah. Also, I would add to that the importance of bouncing back from setbacks because for for Laura's story, he didn't... Malcolm left her for Sophie and for her to be like, oh, I really like this guy and now I'm not... like. I can't compete with Sophie, but for her to come back from that setback, it wasn't possible for her. I must, there might have been other things, but reading the story, that's the side we get. So that's like the one-dimensional way we see her as. Um, but I don't know. He left her. I don't know if he left her. He left her at Sophia. the Lindy Hop. He just he saw yeah, Sophie okay. at the Lindy Hop. So he he dropped Sophia. her off okay. and then went back. But he was never that serious about pursuing Laura as a yeah. But she didn't know that. Interest. Yeah, but see, there's also they were talking. There's for also a while. the discussion of or, or the uh, the reality of 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 re- race relations um, of black men looking at or, or desiring white women as a you know which which goes back to the to the experience of, of, of slavery, of the, I mean, and there was a whole, and he talked about this, the whole psychology behind mm-hmm. uh, uh, behind some black men looking at this as the forbidden fruit, 
uh, or taking the, the, the white man's most mm -hmm. prized possession, so to speak. Uh, and, and so there, there's some culture, there's a lot of cultural conditioning uh, that's, that's not necessarily talked about. Uh, and it's not as simple as, as him taking the good girl home and coming back for the, for the, for the girl who is up for whatever else. Uh, but there's also this idea that Laura is sort of a metaphor. I think her situation is sort of a metaphor for the condition of, of, of black people up to that point uh, and even beyond. And by that I mean their introduction or, um, uh, or, or their interaction with society, which turns them or, or left them in a broken state. But you mentioned not being able to go back and fix anything, right? But there's a point of consciousness where if you realize you've made a mistake, that first of all, you don't try to make the same mistake, but you, it's also the idea of trying to, uh, you give reparations uh, to someone. You, you try to make them whole. He wasn't in a position to give her that. Um, and I think it would have been different. So are you saying that it, because of that natural desire to fix things, with in this, in this case with Laura, that mm -hmm. that led him to kind of um, pour that desire into fixing his community collectively as a whole. Is that what you're saying? Well, what what I'm saying is that in these, uh, as a part of the language of, of from that experience from that community, um, which you know I've my family has, has has come through and then through the uh, the leadership of Imam Marthi Muhammad, um, the, the woman has always been seen as a sign of uh, society or culture. And in, in these terms, a broken culture, a broken people in need of healing but not being given access to healing, simply looked at and said, well, you just we're going to leave you to wallow. We'll leave mm -hmm. you and we'll just kind of pity you. But not being able to do anything or uh, not making any efforts to to, to fix the damage that's done. That's why I say I can look at her as somewhat of a metaphor mm -hmm. for the people in, in general. Now, he was not in a position to, to, to change anything or to really, I guess, give her any help, anything more really than, than just to pray for and feel bad. But on a societal level, his, his goal was, and, and others who fought alongside him, was let us fix our, our broken people. Um, there's an excerpt. I want to read real quick. And it says, says the teachings of Mr. Muhammad stress how history had been whitened. When white men had written history books, the black man simply had been left out. Mr. Muhammad couldn't have said anything that would have struck me harder. I think wow. this is this is integral. This is uh, this is foundational stuff that that it gives some understanding as to why he pushed uh, the way he did. Um, because what he's saying is that there's, there's a lack of awareness. Uh, and all the language, all the conversations we have, everything that we do or the conditions that we live in is based upon us not knowing. Um, it's based, based upon us not knowing who we are, the, the, what we should have, and succumbing to somebody else's uh, mm -hmm. system. Go ahead. You got it. Um, I agree with Laura being a metaphor um, because her storyline isn't very like important to the overall theme of the book, but it's important because it was important to Malcolm X's life and it's important because she is a metaphor 
uh, but I would say she's a metaphor for standards and privilege. Mm. Um, especially since like around that same time where he's talking about Laura, he talks about I'm not. I don't know what the gerund for this is, but conking your hair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, processing it. Processing yeah. your hair. Um, and he talks about how that was like the standard and you would relax your hair and you would go through all these really harsh chemicals to look white pretty much. And so standards of beauty and standards that people hold themselves up to. Laura was super studious. She didn't do anything wrong. She like obeyed her grandma. And then there's this other like just juxtaposed with Sophie who like, we don't really know anything about her past, or, but that's who Malcolm picked because right. she was at a higher privilege, at a higher standard. She opened a door to him that Laura couldn't. Um, and I think it's like how we view people and how we, we view privilege and standard because even to this day, like when you look at standards of beauty, they're defined by white. Like Fenty Beauty just came out to 2017 and that's the first like like conglomerate known like sephora carries it all these other companies like talk about it it's the first known beauty brand that's catered to non-white people mm-hmm. so i think that whole rihanna is uh yeah rihanna's brand okay. yeah. so that whole i think that whole section is about standards and how we define our standards because of the system and the society we exist in and that's what i think laura's metaphor is supposed to be about mm. okay so one of the other uh, so we talked about his re- uh, regret. Uh, I think there's another important part of the conversation that uh, that we'll probably probably be grappling with for a while, and that is uh, I want to do a contrast when we talk about the history uh, as Muslims in particular, right? We the, the Hijra, right? Our our calendar begins when the when when, when the believers left Mecca for Medina. That's mm-hmm. when our calendar begins, and regardless of where you're from. Uh, what your ethnicity is, we share that as a as a focal point, uh, as as a ummah, as a as a as a community. Do you think that when we talk about history like this, we talk about Malcolm X, we talk about uh, Honorable, Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Imam Martha Dean Muhammad, we talk about uh, these people who have uh, who have given their lives here. Do do you think that? Regardless of where we're from, those of, those of us who are here, we see that as a part of our shared history, or do you think we look at that as as black history? Uh, are you talking about the, the leaders that you mentioned from here? Are you talking sure. about, do we view that as collective history or as black history? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because I, I think we should see it as, as our mm-hmm. collective history, but do you think it's looked at, because we talk about these folks in a generic sense, they get mentioned during uh, Black History Month. Yeah. Right. But is that same? Uh, do we have that same connection to to that history and to the the presence of, uh, of Islam and those who uh, those who've come before us? Do we have that same connection? Those outside of the uh, African American community. That's For I hope the, that's clear. Uh, well, f- first of all. Black history is American history. No doubt. That's the first point. Um, the second point is I would take it on a case-by-case basis as far as each person. Do I consider them like a historical figure or do I consider them a figure uh, simply in like one movement? You know, So I'd take it on a case-by-case basis. depends on, on how, um, how much influence the person had um, on history overall. But there's no doubt that black history is American history and 
really the history of our country revolves in a way it revolves around the experience of of african americans under the united states of america um so yeah but another point to lead off that very important point that um that i found and that i really cherish when reading this book is that from malcolm x specifically i don't i don't view him simply as a figure of black history but i feel like when i read the book i'm reading a book about muslim history right that's why this book is so dear to me and that's why i cherish uh, this book so much is because i'm reading a part of the history of islam right um because he was such a a powerful figure and he was such a powerful teacher in teaching us how to stand up to a system which is kind of um antagonistic and whatnot in many different ways so obviously like i said the black liberation movement the struggle is definitely this stage on which all of this is happening right yeah. but the implications for me is something much much broader right much more global and much more part of the the muslim family rather than just limited to one country or one continent or anything like that is the stage when it's happening absolutely but the implications are huge and just really um universal okay Are you? may i have misunderstood your question but i thought yeah it was a very interesting way to phrase <laughs> that question but um as far as muslims in america viewing malcolm x's history as collective history mm-hmm. that i think that will that's what the original question was um for the immigrant family i know i can't speak for all immigrants but my parents being immigrants i don't think they would see malcolm x as a part of their history but at the same time they wouldn't necessarily see any american figure as like oh this like george washington represents my history but definitely for people who are born in america who consider themselves american i think they would call count malcolm x as part of their collective muslim history like identity they will look up to him as a role model as a mentor um, what have you i think you're right in the sense that a lot of immigrant families like my parents are immigrants too um i was born here so i identify more with like illinois and united states and all that but i think you're right in that it's not the case but i want that to change i want that to be the mm-hmm. case i but think they should i think people should view malcolm x as a important figure in muslim history overall right in islamic history yeah. overall uh regardless of you know where they're from or whatever and i want that to be that big change that takes place because there's so much to learn yeah i agree with you but yeah, and and I and I also I think it's important, uh, and it, and it's great that every, you know everybody has different uh, viewpoints, uh, and, and that's what that's the enjoyable thing about now talking to yourself is that you can hear what somebody else has to say. <laughs> um, but I think that <laughs> also you don't look crazy. So. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that it's also important once again um, because we have a tendency today more than. I think it more than any other period in time uh, where we we have a very individualistic lens uh, the way we see things and we tend to see people once again as I, I mentioned earlier we send it we said we tend to see them identify them just as, as an individual and we get into exceptionalism we don't con- we, we kind of disconnect them from uh, 
we disconnect them from uh, communities. We di disconnect them from the surroundings and, and like I said, the soil that, that brought them up. Uh, one of the things that I hope comes about as well is, is people read his autobiography, study him, is also to study where he came from. Uh, mm -hmm. is, to, is to read about uh, the Nation of Islam and read about why it was significant, why, uh, and, and it remains uh, significant, um, uh, but why, why, why it was an expression of uh, th that hope of, of freedom and dignity uh, for black people in, uh, at, at that particular time. Um, I, I'll, I think I'll close with this. One thing that I took away from from this book and from uh, just going back to it, you know, over the years, is just this unapologetic expectation of respect um, and a fearlessness uh, and and being equipped, you know, as a reader, somebody that was largely self-educated, mm -hmm. you know, his own desire to know. Uh, that to me is inspiring and is, is transformational. So. Uh, Do you think that system would work today's age? Like somebody who self-taught getting to that level of being a leader? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it certainly, it certainly can. It's um, an interesting question, actually. Especially if they're not white and from like n what people expect. Well, at the same time, I would say that the respect that he demanded and the respect that he had to get. Um, his intellectual abilities, it didn't come just from saying, like, you know, I've read this many books. He actually went out there and he debated and he proved mm -hmm. himself. Yeah. So that's really where his respect came from. It yeah. wasn't just, like, I read 50 million books, right? Yeah, or mad, I, just, I have a degree in this or I have a degree in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. He really went out there and talked the talk and he walked the walk. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it goes back to in his childhood, he wanted to be a lawyer. And he certainly could have been. Yeah. He could have been mm -hmm. a top-notch litigator. Yeah. Uh, that story the, was really sad. What, when but the also, that's indicative. That yeah. is just representative of, of, of generations of, 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 of African-American men like him who were told the very same thing. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, though, could someone who does not have a traditional education become a leader? And I say that it's already happened. Uh, case in point with the Imam Warthi Muhammad, uh, Allah have mercy on him. He was, when he passed, he was the, the, the paper, mm -hmm. uh, headline of the paper said, America's Imam um, yeah. has passed. I meant right? more today, like well, I mean, a 14 year old today. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, no one owns education. I mean, I, kn I know that we, we put a lot of stock into, mm -hmm. uh, in, into the degrees and uh, being uh, a part of you know the academy and all that kind of stuff, but nobody owns uh, nobody owns education and the ability to articulate and synthesize and uh, be a critical thinker. That's not necessarily something that mm -hmm. has to come from uh, the system. As a matter of fact, some folks tell you that depending on who you are, you may not ever get that in the system. Yeah, that's true. I can see that. Yeah, this uh, this is an interesting subject. I guess we could talk about that for a long time. Because we're told you need masters and like PhDs there's to some be truth somewhere. To, I think there's some truth to that to a certain extent, because um, we have Breitbart, right? Um, but uh, I want to I want to like give my final thought or whatever I guess and say that 
um, we don't need to view Malcolm X as a figure, like one dimensionally. We don't need to like be like either he was this like or he was that. You know, mm -hmm. yes, he was a great figure within the black community, and like nothing's going to change that, right? Mm -hmm. What I want to do, which might get me in trouble or whatever, I don't know. I want to claim Malcolm X as a leader for myself as a Muslim, right? I don't have I don't come from an African American background at all, right? My parents are immigrants, but I want to take this step and claim Malcolm X as one of my role models um as a Muslim and part of the larger global Muslim community. And I don't think that's any contradiction. I don't think we need to choose like is he this or is he that? Like he's all of that, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think Sp in Spike Lee at the end of his movie kind of alludes to that too. Oh, everybody's saying um, I am Malcolm X. Now. That yeah. leads into my final thought. Yeah. My final thought is that the Malcolm X movie needs to be more available on Netflix or Hulu or YouTube. Somebody needs to put it on YouTube because I'm pretty sure I got a virus trying to download it off some site. Really? I couldn't get it anywhere else. You know, that might just mean you need to go ahead and buy it. Yeah, but from where? <laughs> it, it, Amazon, Amazon Prime. No, like it was like... Two months, like, oh, well, two months. I, I, I own it. I had to so. wait for like a week. Yeah, I own it. All right, this is the last thing that, that I'm going to say uh, as, we, as we close out. That these struggles, when we, when we look at them simply as isolated struggles, <clears throat> excuse me, we miss the implications for humanity, right? Mm -hmm. If there's any, what they say, if there's injustice anywhere, there's injustice everywhere. Uh, and so for those who fight for the dignity uh, and, um, and, and personhood of, of those who are oppressed, they're really fighting for the for the healing and for the for the uh, for the betterment of humanity as a whole. So, to your point, your your statement, Ibrahim, I think that's uh, that's dead on. Uh, we should be able to identify and align ourselves with those people who champion justice and freedom and dignity, wherever they are. Uh, period, uh, regardless of, uh, of of their ethnicity or whatever. Or even nationality. Yeah, or even religion for that point. Yeah. Right? So that's another that's another discussion. All right, Radio Slime family, we hope that you've enjoyed the, the discussion. Um, we look forward to joining you all again next week. want to thank our engineer Leonard over at WCEV. Uh, thank uh, uh, our engineer in studio, the impressive one, pulling double duty, Ibrahim Beg. Thank our, um, our contributing co-host as well, uh, Arya Siddiqui. And I'm your host, Tariq Elamine. Uh, I guess we all take take uh, a little bit of credit as producers. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, the thoughts and views expressed tonight are those of the uh, the host uh, and, and the guest, and not to be taken as representative of Sound Vision Inc. Okay, I got through all that. One minute to go. Uh, no, no minutes to go. All right, folks. Uh, Radio Sound family, have a great weekend. We leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.